Welcome back to the My Thoughts My Way podcast. Podcast where I say what's on my mind the way I feel like saying it. We opened up this week's discussion with the Army song performed by the United States Army Field Band. Yes, I did pull that from YouTube, but I properly credited it. So I should be okay. Please don't hurt me, copyright people. <laughs> so, uh... I know when I last talked, I had mentioned we are gonna, probably going to discuss uh, inflation and education, but that was before, and how the heck could I realize, have just a failure in realizing what day it is and what's going on? That's before I realized that this week we celebrate a very special day that is near and dear to my heart. June 14th is the Army birthday. It is also Flag Day. So... I'm going to go ahead and talk about those two. We're still going to talk about inflation because, man, oh, man, oh, man, that has been a very hot, hot, hot topic these last, we'll just say this last week, had a lot of really bad news coming out uh, uh, on our economy. Uh, so we're still going to talk about that. Education, yeah, I know I wanted to talk about it, but I'm going to push that down, maybe possibly back down to next week. Maybe uh, a later time. Uh, simply because, well, I want to talk about the Army and the Flag Day. <laughs> That's the joy of this being my thoughts my way. If I don't want to talk about something right now, I don't have to. So let's go ahead and start with the United States Army. So I actually, uh, I'm in contact with a local talk radio station here in western Washington. Uh, and actually, I, I'd like to think that I'm becoming a... a kind of a friend if not a friend at least a, a decent acquaintance with one of the producers if you don't know anything about that what a producer is is in talk radio typically you have the guy behind the microphone the big guy the name you're sean hannity your your michael savage your uh i don't know who's really is on the on the liberal side of the spectrum uh, but on the other side, and they usually sometimes are in the same room, but usually they're in a different room behind a big glass window. They call it the booth. Guy that guy or gal that may or may not spend any time on their microwave microphone, but they're the ones answering the phone. They're queuing up the music. They're queuing up the different advertisements and the news segments. Those guys and gals, those are the producers of a radio show, uh, especially in a live talk radio setting. This podcast is, it's a one-man show. It's me doing everything. I'm the idiot behind the microphone. I'm the idiot with the keyboard and the mouse queuing up the music when and where I want it, how I want it. So that's what a producer does. And I, I've become, I'm getting to know a producer up in Seattle. And uh, when I realized what day it is, and I listen to talk radio a lot. Uh, when I realized what day it is, I was listening. And the morning shows I listened to, didn't meant they talked a lot about Flag Day, but not a single one of them that I follow and inter, try to interact with when I can talked about the Army birthday. So I reached out and I said, "Hey, hey, 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 uh, your morning guys did great talking about Flag Day, but nobody mentioned the Army birthday. The Army is very near and dear to my heart. So I did some research. I put together a quick." Man, this is not a, a definitive, a comprehensive uh, anything. This, is, this isn't even a Cliff Notes edition of the Army history. 
But I put together a quick, uh, quick uh, recap of Army history, and I sent it up to them. And uh, uh, I was driving. I was actually on my way to an event, uh, a Flag Day event, when I heard my my not even Cliff Notes uh, notes uh, be discussed on the radio. Now I don't know how many listeners were on there or tuning in at the time. But it was kind of it was kind of just an ego ego boost, knowing that hey, my stuff actually impressed the people in the show enough to the point where they they decided to take it and and uh, talk about it, discuss it. Um, and actually, I reached out to the producer afterward and uh, thanked him for that, and he thanked me for for reaching out. So, given that I've got a couple really meaningful topics that I want to talk about, meaningful to me, and then something else that's outside of that realm, but still kind of interesting, I might expand my time. I might stretch my time out just a teensy, teensy, tiny bit. Uh, I try to keep my rough, loose uh, time limit to about half an hour, 35 minutes, give or take. Um, but I might extend that a little bit. Studies have shown, because uh, I've done a lot of reading on this, studies have shown that when for your average talk radio show, at the very at least, I can't attest to all podcasts and things, the average listening time a, a show is going to get is roughly 25 to 35, 40 minutes uh, before a person loses interest or has to move on to something else. That's why I try to keep mine around 25 minutes. Uh, but anyhow, let's go ahead and talk about uh, about the Army. So, my condensed history, Rick's condensed history, by no means the definitive. Uh, but you think about it, when the Revolutionary War began, so this is 1774, 1775, that time range, there was no real national organization for military service. Each colony, now remember there were 13 colonies, had its own militia. And that's where a lot of where the, 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 the militia derived in the Second Amendment is, comes from. But each colony had its own militia, which was comprised of the people, the men and women, in this case really more men at the, because of the culture, that lived and worked in those colonies. And these militias were relied upon for local defense. So it was on June 14th, 1775, so 274 years ago, that the Continental Army was founded. It was first established as the Continental Army, the United States Army was, by the Second Continental Army, Continental Congress, representing the original 13 colonies. And the United States Army is really considered the for, first national institution, okay? In 1776, General George Washington was selected as the first commander-in-chief. Now, with the signing of the Declaration of Independence, just a year after the founding of the United States, of the Continental Army, the Continental Army became known as the Army of the United States. Because remember, we were declared as the United States. Now, interestingly enough, after the close of the Revolutionary War uh, with England, the Continental Army was disbanded. So everybody went home. All the soldiers were discharged. This was in 1784. Now, 1786, as uh, the country is rebuilding and moving forward, right, the creation of the War Department of War happened. And in 1792, the first parts of the Standing Army, which we would now which we would come to know and love, uh, under the name of the Legion of the United States were created as the need for an army to address the conflict with Native Americans as the time was there. And in 1796, the Legion was redesignated as the United States Army. 
Now, before the start of the American Civil War, you'll remember the war for slavery, and we can discuss that at another time. This army was really small, with the primary mission of defending the American frontier from Native American attacks. Now, as southern states seceded and the war with the Civil War was growing, the army was fractured because armed soldiers and officers and generals of the army were leaving to go join the Confederate army. So the the Union, we'll call them, had to draw a bunch from volunteers to build and to build and grow to fight. And the growth of volunteers was so large at the time that new regiments, new companies and battalions and brigades and regiments had to be formed to organize those new soldiers. Now, in 1865, after the fall of the Confederacy in the Civil War, the volunteer army was demobilized. Now, throughout this time, the army would engage in conflicts throughout history, including the Spanish-American War, American-Philippine Wars, and in 1903, Congress enacted the National Guard, which we know now. And it is a militia for state service, but also they serve as a trained reserve for the regular army. Now, through the Dick Act, Dick Act in 1908, the United States Army Reserve was created. Those are more federalized, whereas National Guard really belongs to the state unless they're activated, and we can talk about that later. Now, the, the, the National Guard has been widely used for a whole slew of stuff after the American Civil War. But the National Defense Act in 1933 formally created the National Guard as a separate reserve component of the United States Army. So that means we can draw them to, to help fight for federal issues. Right. In 1948, after the close of World War II, the Women's Armed Service Integration Act gave women a permanent status in the active and reserve components of the Army. Now, up to this point, women had been doing a phenomenal job of serving often in healthcare roles, but this just made their, their presence permanent in the military, in the Army. Now, today, the Army spans a, has a massive worldwide presence, okay? We have thousands of soldiers in Europe watching and waiting. We have soldiers stationed all across the globe, South Korea, Germany, Italy, we have in South America, we have soldiers deployed to Africa, all sorts of places. And there are currently more than one million soldiers among the three components of our active reserve and National Guard. The Army really does stand by waiting for the call to action to do what America needs doing. Now, interestingly enough, 16 presidents, 16 presidents have served in the United States Army, with two of them reaching the highest rank attainable in the military. General of the Army, and those two are General George Washington and General Dwight Eisenhower. And it's interesting that both of these two, having reached that five-star level, uh, became presidents. Now, General Washington, President Washington, his five-star status was conferred upon him very much posthumously. He was not a five-star general when he was alive. But General Eisenhower, you remember, he was the Supreme Allied Commander during World War II, later became president. And it's interestingly enough, and I see this on social media, uh, but numerous, numerous icons within our history, well, we won't say icons, we, with, uh, yeah, we can say icons, but famous people uh, have served in the Army. Elvis Presley, interestingly enough, Buster Keaton, Mel Brooks, uh, and Clint Eastwood. Those are just a few of, of those names that is fun and interesting to know about. Now, on a personal note, now, and I do, I, I interact with veterans quite frequently uh, and some active duty on a regular basis as well. 
But in my mind, the the army is not just an organization. It's just not not just a war machine. It's a family. Okay, and this is one of the strongest families that I think I have ever had the the privilege to be a part of. Um, from day one of basic training, now I served almost nine years. I had uh, and I met and knew a lot of phenomenal people. Some of the best people. Uh, that our nation has to offer. I had the, the, the pleasure and privilege of knowing and working with and living with and spending time with. Um, but they become, they really do become, they become more of a, more like your family than anything. Um, they kind of, it's the, like the point where you feel like you, you know, you don't feel you're willing to die for the people to your left and right. You're willing to die for these people because you you're their family. You they are you. Um so I I cannot be more proud of some of the people that I know. Uh I know and love because I love them as if they were my own brother, uh my own parents. Um not my kids. <laughs> Not my kids. That's a different type of love, but I love them as I love them like they're my own siblings because that is the relationship, that is the 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 life that they have. Uh, and in the military, in my time in the military, um, I had the opportunity to see and do things that I mean, really, most people can only imagine. Uh, the army gave me the opportunity to live in and work at West Point, New York. I mean, if you don't know anything about West Point, you need to do a Google search and look it up. The, the, the history, the boots, the people that have walked there and worked there is just absolutely amazing. I had the privilege of living there for two years and working uh, and walking those grounds that and seeing some of the same, kind of being able to imagine some of those same things that people like General Washington saw and where they walked. Uh, and... The Army is allowing me to pursue my degree, my bachelor's degree. And uh, when I graduate, I will walk out completely 100% debt-free because of that. Um, and I will say this as I look back. The Army gave me so much more than I think I could ever expect to give in return. Um, because it took a young 20s guy and it gave me in many ways a purpose it gave me a life it gave me experiences and some of those I plan to uh, I, I plan to share as time goes by uh, there are stories that I reserved for a very very select few um, and only when the need arises well, if you hear that, that's my uh, my system telling me it's time to change gears. So, talked about the Army. So, June 14th, Flag Day. I kind of feel like the Army is a little more important, a little more special to me, but that's okay. Let's talk about the flag now. We're listening to You're a Grand Old Flag there in the background. Now, this song was performed by the United States Military Academy Band. Now, they're stationed and perform out of West Point, which I just talked about. Uh, so, that's beautiful accompaniment. When the American Revolution broke out in 1775, and we talked about that already with the Army, 
the colonists weren't fighting under a single flag. So every, every colony had their own flag. Uh, so in June of 1775, about the same time, the army was founded. The Second Continental Congress, again, met in Philadelphia. And they created what was the first, the first flag, the Continental Colors. Now, this flag was comprised of 13 red and white alternating stripes and the Union Jack in the quarter, corner. But it was too similar to the British flag. So General Washington realized that a flag, the flag was demoralizing to, to our, our troops. It was hurting their efforts. So on June 14, 1777, just two years after the army was created, the Second Continental Congress took a break from writing the Articles of Confederation. Those are the official documents that describe our government before the Constitution was written. We'll go, we'll go back to that later. But they took a break from writing that and passed a resolution stating that the flag of the United States be 13 stripes, alternate red and white, and that the Union be 13 stars, white, in a blue field, representing a new constellation. Now, as we know, those 13 stars would increase to 14, 15, all the way up to the 50 stars that we now have. But let's talk about what the colors mean. There, there's a very specific reason for these colors in this color pattern. The red stands for hardiness and valor. It represents courage and sacrifice. It's also related to the bloodshed of the heroes who fought and fight to protect the American freedom. White means purity and innocence. We, we like to think America described as pure because we're independent of other countries and we try to stay true to our beliefs and ideals. And the blue means vigilance and perseverance. We have to stay watchful and strong lest we get too comfortable and lose these freedoms and everything that we have and cherish here. So let's talk about some facts about the U.S. flag. Now, some of these I didn't know and some of them I did. So I've always believed that Betsy Ross, she assisted in the Revolutionary War by repairing for uniforms, sewing tents. So I always believed and assumed that she made the first American flag. Now, I didn't realize this, but there's no evidence to that. Uh, it's... Um, it's been confirmed that Francis Hopkinson designed the American flag, as we now have that. Okay, uh, the flag day, the day that we celebrate on June 14th, is believed to have originated in, by a Wisconsin teacher by the name of Bernard, and I'm going to butcher this last name, Sigrand. He led his school in the first formal observance of the holiday. He felt that it was to be, it should be celebrated, uh, and continued to promote his concept for, throughout his life. Let's see what else do we have here. Uh, so in the 1950s, right around right just before Alaska was going to be admitted to the Union, they began retooling the American flag, which had 48 stars at the time, to add a 49th. But at the same time, a 17-year-old from Ohio named Bob Heft redesigned the flag to include two extra stars, so stitching 50 stars, because at the time he expected Hawaii would soon join, which they did later, just a few short years later. And on July 4th, 1960, President Eisenhower uh, raised the first 50-star flag, July 4th, 1960. And he raised this flag with this young man, uh, this Bob Heft, on the for the first time. Okay, uh, so 
flying the flag upside down, you might have seen it. It's not necessarily a bad thing or an act of protest. According to the flag code, a flag flown upside down is a sign of distress. So for a military installation, a ship, if you see an American flag flying upside down, you know the, uh, the, the, the crap has really hit the fan at that point. <laughs> um, but setting it on fire, not so good. Now, there is a prescribed way to burn American flags. We called it retiring. And actually, on the 14th, I was out with a number of scouts doing that very thing. And it was actually a very beautiful event, teaching the youth, the kids, respect, flag etiquette, proper way to dispose of flags. Now, you'll see in many cases, the for especially for veterans, service members, law enforcement, firefighters, You'll see a flag draped over the coffins of those heroes. But any burial, any burial can have that tradition, but we see it mostly in those cases. Uh, flag etiquette does call for flags that are flying to be illuminated. That means they have to have a light on them. The only caveat to that is a ship at sea is not required to illuminate their flag. Kind of interesting uh, with that. Uh, so, but you'll see if you, in my, most cases, government building stuff, if they're flying their flag overnight and every, in times of darkness, there will be a spotlight on the flag. And actually many homes, especially if those homes are, are occupied and owned by veterans, they'll have that. When flying with other flags, the flag should be honed, should be flown at the highest point. There should be no flag flying above it. When two flat, when flags of nations are flying up with the American colors, they should be of equivalent size and flown at the same height. One flag cannot fly higher than the other. So, I mean, those are just a few, uh, just a few facts, some some historical knowledge for Flag Day and the American flag. You will note that almost every branch of the military. Well, okay, let me rephrase that because Marine Corps and the Navy they're special. <laughs> uh, but Army and Air Force, uh, in many of their day-to-day activities on their uniforms, they have the American flag. Interesting story. So if you look at the right sleeve of an American soldier, you'll see the blue and white stars on the right side, whereas typically you'll see them on the left side because as if the flag is waving in the wind. The reason the army wears their flags like that is because when you, the soldier is running forward, it's like the flag is waving properly in the right direction. So there's some, some fun facts, some interesting knowledge of the United States Army and the flag of the United States, both of which we celebrate on June 14th. So let's take a moment. I'm going to catch my breath and let's talk about inflation. Okay, so I'm actually not hurting on time. I'm looking at my little timer here, my my recording software, and I'm actually kind of right where I want to be. That's kind of cool. Uh, so let's talk about inflation. Now, this week, if you've been watching any of the Alphabet Soup of News Networks or listening in to any of the Alphabet Soup of News Networks, a very hot, hot, hot topic has been inflation, especially with the... The May report that rep- that was released on the 10th, so that's last Friday, and uh, the good God, the, the stock market fall on the 13th earlier in the week. Man, 
So inflation is a very hot topic. So I decided I'm going to do some research and try and figure out what on earth, what the heck causes inflation. Now, there are a lot of a lot of different theories, but I've been able to narrow it down to seven kind of agreed um, agreed concepts or agreed ideas to what generally uh, cause inflation. Now, inflation is not inherently a bad thing. Economists actually say that a healthy rate of inflation is roughly two to three percent. Now, honestly, I'd like to see no inflation because I don't like my prices going up. But if my wages are growing up higher than my prices are going up, then we're, then we're OK with that. Um, but so on the 10th of June, it was reported that the month to month inflation and I'm going to tell you how inflation is calculated here in a moment, uh, increased 8.6 percent. My God, 8.6 percent. We are seeing rates of inflation that we have not seen in my lifetime. That's how bad things are getting. And now on Monday, the 13th, we had a massive stock market sell-off. So what that tells me is that these investors, these, these people that are a lot smarter than me in terms of money, they're getting worried. So they're trying to sell everything off before things get really bad. The S&P fell 3.9%. So 495 of the 500 different items, or, or let's call them com- companies, because that's what they are, in the S&P index fell 495 of 500. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 2.8%. And the NASDAQ dropped 4.7%. What does that mean? That means all the gains that we have seen in the stock market over the last two years, instantly gone in a day. Gone in a day. Now, I have actually listened to some of the alphabet soup of news media talking. I've listened to some government leaders and them trying to justify the inflation. And uh, honestly, I think a lot of the people that I'm listening to, they're full of malarkey. But let, but I don't know. What do I know? I'm not exactly the smartest person for money. Uh, so let's talk about inflation. First off, what on earth is it? Inflation is the general increase in the prices of goods and services in an economy. So it's the goods and services that we buy, that we pay for. That's our groceries, our Legos, our video games, our housekeepers, our mechanics, our car washers, our dishwashers, the goods and services. Now, how is that calculated? That's a very, very good question. Your inflation is calculated by adding up thousands and thousands of prices for different things, thousands and thousands of different things, and comparing to them to the exact same good, the exact same item a month ago, a year ago, okay? Every month, this is checked everywhere. These same thousands upon thousands of items are checked, and that price, that percentage is what we call inflation, that increase or decrease, Okay. Now remember, increase of two to three percent is good. It's healthy. Okay. Now there's not a hundred percent consensus from economists and people who actually do this crap for a living in terms of what uh, what causes inflation and how to manage it. Uh, but over the last 18 months, we've seen some of the highest inflation over the last 40 years. So, I mean, this is more longer than I've been alive. 
In 2020, we had an increase, annual increase of 1.4%. In 2021, we had an increase of 7%. Now that is a massive, massive jump. Now, it, so far in 2022, we've had an 8.6%. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that the the way these increases are going right now is not a good thing. A lot of economists that I'm listening to are saying we are headed for a massive recession. We're headed for a massive collapse. Very similar, I think, possibly worse than we saw in 2008. Uh, since April 2021, the average monthly increase per month has been over 4%. Now, remember, 2.3 is considered healthy, okay? So what causes inflation? Like I said, I found, and I've been able to narrow down, seven generally accepted uh, um, causes of inflation. A strong economy. More jobs and more wages equals more spending. That's a given. If I have more money or you have more money, you're going to spend more money. More spending causes the prices to rise, okay? That's natural by the whole point of a business, the whole point of a business is to make money. I'm not going to open a for-profit business and expect to break even or lose money every month. If that happens, I'm going to close the doors or I'm going to open a nonprofit. <laughs> the whole point is to make money. That's why I'm going into business. There's more money available. Now, we've actually seen this here, here in the United States a lot over the course of the last two years where the central bank, in our case, in America's case, the Federal Reserve, adds money into circulation faster than the rate of economic growth. When we had our COVID lockdowns, there was nobody's was working. There was no, there was no real growth. So the government had to, they had to shove, literally they had to create money from thin air, or not thin air, with a couple strokes of a keyboard and create money. And that's how those stimulus checks that all went out but they're sending that money faster than the rate of economic growth, okay? The cost of basic materials increase. Now, here's a real-world example for that. Oil. So let's talk in the 1970s, OPEC oil. Oh, you know OPEC, that's that massive conglomerate in the Middle East for oil. There were embargoes saying, okay, you're not, we're not going to buy your oil, which, which decreased the readily available supply. And we've seen that with Russia. Uh, and actually, I talked about gas last week, but we've seen that with Russia. There is a gas shortage that we're expecting. So that's going to mean that that oil is going to cost more because it costs more, which means gas is going to cost more. All of our petroleum products, our nylon, our plastic, everything is going to cost more. So we're literally seeing that now. A strong housing market. A strong housing market is going to mean higher prices, but that means there are more homeowners are building, contractors. Builders, they're all spending more money, so that's going to increase the prices of houses, okay? Government policies and spending. I could go on and on and on and on and on about government spending. Uh, so, But that's really going to increase inflation. Increased discretionary spending often lowers taxes, often in the form of lower taxes. The theory is that businesses will spend extra money on compensation and new hiring. So if we cut taxes on the businesses, they're going to spend more money get on their people. 
where they're going to be able to afford to spend more money on their people. That's the logic there. Uh, and infrastructure projects. Okay, so the inflation is going to go up if they're paying these build these companies to build these bridges and roads and airports and all of this other stuff. They're gonna there's gonna be an increased demand for these goods and services, which means that those prices are gonna go up. Uh, let's look at here new regulations. Oh my God, new regulations. So regulations, so tariffs. If you don't know, a tariff is a tax on an import, and an import is something that we're getting from another country. The government's going to tax that, which means that tax is going to get passed on to the consumers. But new regulations are like that because the fees associated with those those regulations are going to increase. So if I have, if the government mandates that I have to have a certain system in place in order to build a widget, that's going to increase the cost of the widget, which the producing the widget, which means the the cost of that widget is going to increase. Why? Because a business is in place to create money. Now, we can talk about that later on. Uh, and exchange rates. Exchange rate is the is how the dollar compares to the euro and compares to the pound and compares to the, the, what is it, the yen, I think, in China, the peso, the exchange rate. So the exchange rates, depending on how we're doing compared to those different different currencies, is going to increase and in, in, increase and impact the, the the increase in inflation now how do we how do we solve inflation i don't know the federal reserve is talking about a massive and by massive they mean three quarters of a percent increase which means our loans and are going to cost more it's uh, housing loans going to cost more auto loans credit cards are going to cost more because those interest rates are going to cost more now, is that going to be effective? Is that going to be enough to? Uh, is that going to be enough to really start tamping down on this inflation? I don't think so. I, again, I'm not. I'm not the expert here. Um, I've just. I'm not sold on the idea that that's what's going to happen. I would like to think that people are smarter than me. Uh, and that people are smarter than me will have the right ideas. I don't know. All I know is that my God, it's costing so daggum much. To, it's costing so much to buy the things that I need and the things that I, I want. And what's going to start ending up happening, and we already see it, is people are going to stop spending on their. They're going to stop their discretionary spending. What that means is I'm not going to be able to go out and buy that new PlayStation video game I want because I don't have the money. That means I'm not going to take my I'm not going to take my kids and go on vacate on a three or four day vacation out to the beach because I can't afford it because the costs are going to go up so much. And that means that people who are struggling to live day by day as it is, they're only going to fall more and more behind. So we need to find a way to. We need to find a way to combat this inflation and bring these prices back down. Now, remember, the, the, the biggest thing, that the, one of the things, though, is you can't just say, oh, well, infl inflation went up 8%. So let's just increase everybody's wages 8%. Why? Because what's that going to do? If I'm a business owner and I'm only making a 2 or 3% profit margin every month and my costs go up 8% already, what's that mean? What am I going to do? 
I am not going to operate at a loss because that's not a good strategy to stay in business. I'm going to have to increase my prices, which means people are going to be paying more just so I can keep my people barely paid the way they're supposed to be paid. And it's a vicious, vicious cycle. So we need to find a way to bring these prices back down. How do we do that? Here's, here's Rick's, Rick's take on this. And I kind of already talked about some of this last week. Get the daggum oil companies here, what we have here in America, drilling. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow a line from Sarah Palin's 2008 vice presidential campaign when she was running with John McCain. Drill, baby, drill. That's one way. Let's bring the prices of oil down. We have more than enough oil here in the United States to bring those down. I support the idea of green energy and electric cars, and I talked about that last week. But right now, in the short term, I can't afford a $70,000 electric car. I have, a, I have my gas guzzler. It's not that much of a gas guzzler, but I have my gas-powered vehicle that I need to power now. I need to pay for it now. I need it running now. So let's get that oil going. What's that going to do? That's going to drop the price of oil. Right now, I think they're expecting the price of oil per barrel to be about $150 by the end of the week. If we start producing oil now at rapid paces, and like I said last week, it's not going to happen overnight, but we can, we can get the groundwork in place quick, fast, and in a hurry, and that speculation is going to push those oil prices down, which is going to push those gas prices down, which is going to push all these other petroleum products down. So let's do that. Let's increase our manufacturing, and we need to do better planning for that. We had that baby formula plant that was shut down for months while the FDA looked at it. Now, I've never met a government agency that worked fast on anything. So we need to increase our efficiency with that. I mean, <laughs> if a company, if a publicly traded company worked with the expeditiousness of the federal government, man, that company is going to go out of business fast. So that's my thought. Now, that's not a catch-all, but that's just a good way to kind of help get the ball rolling, get these prices lowered. We need, to low, we, need to, we need to loosen up on some of our regulations. Let people build. Let people produce. Stop hampering them. Stop hampering them. Stop hampering them. You can tell I'm kind of passionate about this. <laughs> it, it, this is fun. So I am right over the 40-minute mark. I am right where I want to be. Hopefully I haven't gone too long and bored people out of their minds. But I was talking with my uh, my producer friend in the radio and about podcasting, and he encouraged me. He said it's a ton of fun. And you know what? Man, I am having so much fun with this, a lot more fun than I really, than I really thought I would or could, I guess, maybe. Uh, this is my third attempt to get this podcast going. And man, I mean, I think I was working too hard or putting too much thought into it before. I just need to have fun and, and be myself. And with this, I really do kind of feel like I, I'm myself. Uh, and I hate to use this term, but I'm my true self. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. Now, I'm not going to promise anything for next week, but I will attempt to get to the education piece because I do want to talk about it. It is an interesting topic. Anywho, for anybody out there listening on the interwebs and in cyberspace, I do appreciate you taking the time to listen. I do appreciate you welcoming me into your routine and into your lives. I hope you learned something from me and something about me. Uh, this has been fun because I'm just unapologetically me. I don't want to be anybody else. I just want to be me. 
And that's all you're going to get from week to week. Hey, I appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.